listening to a podcast by Abide Church and Pastor Dan DeBell in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We pray this podcast helps you live, love, and look more like Jesus this week. Enjoy the message. You know, if you're new with us today, worship may have caught you off guard a little bit, not having a live band up here. And on it, to be transparent, it's just the season of life that we're in as far as our church, but We've loved it because it's undistracted worship for us. There's nothing else to look at besides some words on the screen if you don't know. And if you know it, close your eyes, raise your hands, and sing it out. And uh, it's been pretty special. We've enjoyed it. We've enjoyed it. Um, Man, thank you for joining us today. Again, happy Father's Day. Today, here's what we're going to do. Last week, we took a little bit of a sidestep. God had a different message to preach uh, that he wanted me to speak. And if you missed last week's, I would encourage you to go back and listen to it. I've gotten some incredible stories from people who have listened to that message, and it's it's really impacted and spoke to them personally. Listen to last week's message. But today, we're going to get back on track to what we were originally doing. A few weeks ago, we celebrated Abide's one-year anniversary, which has been phenomenal. We've seen God do a lot, of, a lot of good things, but we also realize that our vision is to help people live, love, and look like Jesus. And that's not just a cool phrase that we came up with. It is a phrase that God put on our heart because we see it in scripture. And so we want to make sure that uh, people aren't just walking around saying a cool phrase, but we actually understand what does it mean to live, love, and look like Jesus. And if we're going to help anyone else do it, number one, we got to do it ourselves. I got to make sure if I'm living, loving, and looking like Jesus so that I can help other people do it as well. And so we're going to do a little bit of a deep dive into the first two. We're going to, we're going to cover some ground today. We're going to talk about how to live like Jesus and how to love like Jesus. This is important because if we call ourselves Abide Church, um, what I love is that there's a scripture that talks exactly about this. In 1 John 2, 6, it says this, if we say that we abide in Jesus, we ought to walk just as he walked. So again, we can run our mouth all day and say, yeah, we're Abide Church. But if we're not walking as he walked, then we're not living up to the name, then we're not truly abiding is what it's saying, right? So we need to know, what does it mean then to walk as he walked? How do we live, love, and look like Jesus? Let's hop into it. The first one is this, to live like Jesus is to serve like Jesus. If you're taking notes, you can fill in, that's the first fill in the blank there for you. To live like Jesus is to serve like Jesus. You may say, Pastor Dan, that that seems pretty elementary. That's right, it is. That's because that's how the gospel is simple. God knew we were simple beings, and he said, I'm going to make this simple so that you can actually walk it out. You can actually live it out, and you can actually do it. Let me talk, let's dive into this for a second. Matthew 20, 25 through 28 says this, uh, but Jesus called them together, and he said, you know that the rulers of this world lorded over their people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them, but among you it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first among you must become your slaves, for the Son of Man He came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Anybody ever had a boss that loved to like power trip, that loved to uh, tell you that they were the boss? Anybody? You can show your hands like it's okay. Yeah, I did. I had a few bosses down the road that were, they just loved, they knew how to manipulate people. They knew how to lord it over us, that they were in charge. You do what I say, not because you respect me or whatever, but just because I told you to do it, shut up and do it, right? That's no fun. God says that's how the world works. They're going to lord it over you. But Jesus makes it very specific. He says the measure of success for disciples is not in how we rule, but it's in how we serve. It's not how many people am I over. Well, I got this promotion. I'm over this many people. I'm, I'm very important. It doesn't matter how many people you're over. How many people are you serving is the question. Am I serving the people that I'm over? Truly. 
You know, I had a, uh, I, I worked at Chick-fil-A for about a year of my life. I was, in, I, I was in management there. I helped out with some of the leadership stuff there. It was incredible. But during that time, I had a great leader who was kingdom-minded. I mean, it's Chick-fil-A, right? It's God's chicken, so he better be kingdom-minded. He's doing something. He's, he's kingdom-minded. But man, he was one of those people who knew, yeah, I'm in charge. I'm running the business. But he cared about the individual, when someone had a need, if their car would break down, he would go out of his way. They had a little, it wasn't very nice, but it was a little truck that the, that the uh, restaurant owned. And there was times people had car problems, and he would say, hey, here's the keys to the truck. Use this as long as you need. He knew how to serve people well, but it was not in always these grand acts. It was many times these one-on-one conversations where he just said, how are you doing? Are you actually okay? Are you doing good? How's your family? These little moments of actually serving someone else. So let's talk about how do we live like Jesus? How do we actually serve this practically? The first way is this, to serve in his church, to serve in his church, to serve his body or the bride of Christ. Have to serve in his church. Ephesians 4 says this. I love this. He says, he, Jesus, he makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. So when every, we're called the body of Christ. The local church is called the body of Christ for a reason. Because there's a lot of parts in it. But when we work together, we can do what Jesus would do if he was here as the body of Christ. We can go to work. But imagine, it was to say, as it does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow. So imagine this morning, if I were to get up and I woke up and my stomach said, hey, not today. Can't do it. I'm checking out for today. I'm going, to be, I'm going to be out for a few weeks. You guys just need to figure it out. Well, my esophagus isn't going to just push my stomach to the side and get connected with my intestine, right? Like, that's not going to work. What's going to happen to my body? Some serious issues, right? Why? Because if one body part does not do its special work, what happens? It's not just, oh, it's just that body part. Yeah, I just set that aside. It'll figure its stuff out, and then it'll come back, and we'll get it plugged back in. No. It's much, it's much worse than that. It's not that it's just not helping, but Scripture says it's actually hurting the other ones around it. And can I tell you, it's the same way in the body of Christ. We looked at the statistics last week. Um, statistically speaking, only 20% of the people that go to a certain church, now we are at a by church, we are blessed. We are well over 60% of people that call here home are involved in serving regularly on the A-team. It's amazing. But statistically, for the global church, or at least the church in America, only 20% of people actually serve in the church. But yet we wonder, man, why aren't we, why aren't we seeing more fruit? Why aren't we taking more ground as the church? But God's Word shows us specifically what happens. When each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow. So the opposite then is true. If the, each part does not do its special work, it does not help the other parts grow. It's actually hurting the other people around them. Let me give you a quote. I think this is from Rick Warren. I can't, I can't confirm that, though. But I saw this quote the other day, and it says this. If an organ is somehow severed from its body, it will shrivel and die. It cannot exist on its own, and neither can you. Disconnected and cut off from the lifeblood of a local body, your spiritual life will wither and eventually cease to exist. This is why the first symptom of spiritual decline is usually inconsistent attendance at worship services and other gatherings of believers. Whenever we become careless about fellowship, everything else begins to slide too. Can I tell you this has been true in my life? I want to share this, this quote if it wasn't true in my life first. There was times in my life where I wasn't involved when I knew I should have been. When I wasn't attending, when I knew I should have been, I got too comfortable. 
and I began to lean back. Can I tell you, whenever I leaned back, instead of leaning into the body of Christ and what God was doing through his church, when I chose to lean back is when the enemy came at me because I'm on my heels. Any athlete knows if I'm on my heels, you can push me right over. But if I'm, the, I'm on the offense, I can do some work. If I'm leaned in, I can do some work. And can I tell you, there's been times in my life where whenever I stopped getting in community, the devil came at me. When I didn't surround myself with people that kept me accountable to God's word, I was in trouble. This is what Jesus talks about. We looked at it in John 15. We talked about the vine dresser. What does he do? He lifts up the vines that aren't producing fruit, that are connected, and he wraps them around other branches. Why? So they can produce more fruit. He wraps them around other branches. What's that? He lifts, he wants, if you're in trouble, he wants to lift you up out of the dirt, and he wants to wrap you around other believers so you can produce fruit together. And in John 15, 4, it says, Abide in me, this is Jesus, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Can I tell you, this is so simple. One way to abide in Christ is consistent attendance and service, where? In his body, which is the local church. You see how simple it is? Whenever I choose to get connected and to contribute, because what happens in a vine, right? There's two jobs. There's, there's, there's the, the part of the roots. What are they doing? They're pulling up nutrients. They're sending it to the branches. Well, aren't the branches doing something? They're producing fruit, yes, but they're also soaking in some sunshine. And where are they sending it? Back. It's two-way. But so many times, we want to get plugged in to the root and just expect God to produce a bunch of fruit in our lives without us doing our part, sending it back to him. Do you see the partnership? This is what we talk about time and time again. It's the, it's the seesaw, right? God, God does his part. We do our part. And if we don't, God's saying, I want to help, but I'm waiting on you to do your part. And if you'll do your part, I promise you that I will move on your behalf. Can I tell you this? Spiritual contributors, people that show up to church and that are serving in his church, they get the most out of church. That seems weird, right? They're showing up because you're asking, you're probably thinking right now, what about all those people that are serving in the kids right now? Like, are they getting more out of it than sitting here and just receiving? Let me, let me show you. They get the most out of church because they show up with the mindset of Jesus, asking, who can I serve today? Who can I serve today? God is looking, and we're going to look at this verse in a little bit. God is looking to honor people that are willing to serve. We are called the body of Christ, but we're also called the bride of Christ, if you're married, think about that. Think about times whenever your spouse has had someone that has appreciated them, maybe a, a great boss at work that has gone out of their way to actually care for you and your family. Think of how much respect you have for that person. Can I tell you, God does the same thing. Jesus is looking at his bride and he's looking. Will you take care of her while I'm gone? Because someday he's coming back. Will you serve her? Will you take care of her? Will you invest in her while I'm gone? Because someday I'm going to be coming back. And if you're in here today, I know this, if it's your first time here, bear with me here. I'm just diving into what does it mean to live like Jesus. But if you're in here, maybe you've been here for a little while, and you're interested in serving in the church, at your table there, at all the tables, there's a little card. It looks just like this. It says, join the A-team. The A-team is what we call our volunteers here. The A-team. Uh, and on the back, it has a bunch of different positions. Here's all I'd ask you to do. Take one of these home. If you've been here for a while and you're ready to take your next step, and just pray. Don't commit to anything today. Go and pray about it. And do what God asked you to do. Don't do what Pastor Dan asked you to do. Do what God has put on your heart to do. Bring it back. Put it in one of the drop boxes for our giving 
And then, man, we'll, we'll start the process. It's that simple. But the first way is we have to serve in his church. The second way is just as important. We have to serve as his church, as his church, because there's two ditches. The first one is this. Well, I serve on Sunday like I, you know, I played Legos with, with Gavin in the elementary room on Sunday, so I'm good. So when I go home today, I don't have to know my neighbor's name. I don't have to be nice to the cashier. I don't have to be nice to the, the waiter that was taking care of us. I don't have to serve them. I have to go out of my way to help them because I already did my duty. That's one ditch. The other way is just as dangerous, though. Well, I'm doing all this during the week, and on Sunday, I just don't have time to get plugged in. I don't have time to serve even the church during the week. There's two dishes. There's got to be a balance of the both because living like Jesus is an everyday thing. It's not a once-a-day thing. It's an everyday thing, not a once-a-day thing. This is why in Matthew 25, 40, Jesus gives this passage where he's talking about serving other people. And here's what he says. He said, as surely I say to you, inasmuch as, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you have done it to me. Here's what he's saying. When you read this in context, he's giving out this, this whole list. He said, I was sick and you visited me. I was thirsty and you brought me something to drink. I was in need and you helped me. And, he said, and the, the people respond and they say, well, we didn't, we didn't see you in need. When did we see you when you were sick? And the master looks back, the Lord looks back, and he says, look, when you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. So whenever you went out of your way and you showed up to church and you just rocked a baby who was crying, guess what? You served me when you did that. When you showed up and you opened that door and you greeted somebody with a smile, you greeted me with a smile. When you went out of your way at work for that coworker that nobody likes, that is a little weird, and you don't like, but you went out of your way to go to lunch with them or to have lunch with them, you had lunch with me. He's, he's, he says, when you do it, no matter how small the act, when I serve people throughout my week, no matter how small, it is, this, it is as if I am doing it to Jesus himself. But isn't that encouraging? Because our flesh wants to say, well, nobody notices, then what's the big point? Like, well, it's a bad investment. I'm giving, but I'm not getting anything back. It feels like a bad investment. But when I give and I serve Jesus, he always makes note. He always makes note. This is what Matthew 25 is all about. He's talking about at the end of the age, when we see him face to face, he's going to separate the sheep from the goats, and he's going to say, you were righteous, enter in. And then he's going to say to the goats, the opposite of this is true. You saw the need, and you didn't meet it. I was going to share this story a little bit later on. This seems like an appropriate time. Several years ago, probably five or more years ago, I was in Quick Trip, and I was buying something in, in, inside. The cashier next to me, at the cash register next to me, a, a woman walks in, and she's paying for her gas with pennies and nickels. She's counting them out on the counter. And I knew immediately I'm supposed to fill up her tank. But you know what stopped me? We didn't have much money in the bank. We probably had less than, who knows, probably 100 bucks, 200 bucks to our name. I can't afford 30 bucks to fill up somebody's tank. I really can't. I got to feed my family. I have a son, a wife at home. Can I be real? I didn't do it. And I knew, and on my drive home that day, man, I knew I missed it. And I knew I walked it, I chose disobedience over obedience. And it stuck with me. But I'm already, I'm getting ahead of myself. I was going to share this later. 
But a few weeks ago, I told God in that moment as I was driving home, I said, never again. Never again. If you tell me to do something, I will do it. And I don't care how financially stupid it is. If it's you, I will do it. Now, if it's me being financially stupid, that's another thing, right? But if it's him, I will do it. A few weeks ago, we were out to eat, me, Leslie, and Gavin. We're sitting there, we're eating, and his family comes in with like five kids. And for some reason, I never have cash, but I had a $100 bill in my wallet. So I was feeling pretty good about myself, okay? I had a $100 bill in my wallet. I never have cash. And I see them come in. As soon as they sit down, I'm like, man, it's a big family. But I notice that three of the five kids do not look like the parents. And so I immediately thought that either they're foster kids or maybe they're friends' kids or maybe they're adopted. I don't know. But the father, the dad, he was there and he had working clothes on. Like you could tell he had been working all day that day. He was nasty. He was dirty. But he was surviving his five young kids and, and he was going to go out to eat, do something special. As soon as they sat down, God put on my heart, give them the $100 bill and say, hey, your, your meal is paid for. Have a great weekend. Can I tell you, my flesh still rose up. Because I was saving that $100 for something specific. You ever been there before? No, I set that aside for, you know. But I remember back to that time. It wasn't about did I have enough. It was will you trust me to take a step and to serve someone, to do what Jesus would do if you have the means. So I went over there and I handed him the $100 bills. We were walking out. I handed it to the dad and I just said, hey, Dinner's on us tonight. Have a great weekend. And he was speechless. He was speechless. He said, I don't even, I don't even know what to say. And I said, that's okay. You guys have a good one. And we walked out. But can I tell you, later we'll talk about this verse in Proverbs. When you refresh others, you yourself will be refreshed. When you give to others, you yourself will be given to. It opens the door for abundance when I walk in obedience. I'm already getting on to giving, but I'm talking about serving, okay? Serving. When you do it to the least of these, guess what? That night, I got to hand a $100 bill to Jesus. Not in the flesh, in spirit. When you do it to the least, you've done it to me. What an honor. What an honor. And how easy is it to serve when I'm serving Jesus? Man, the second thing is this. We're going to talk about this. To love like Jesus is to give like Jesus. See how I'm just already ahead of myself. Bear with me here. I'm going to get back on track. To live is to serve, not just one day a week. That's an everyday thing. To love is to give. To love is to give. John 3.16, we know this one. For God so loved the world that he gave. He so loved that he gave. What did he do? God loved so genuinely that he backed it up with action. He backed it up with action. And guess what? We are commanded to do the exact same thing. In 1 John 3, 18, it says this. Let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. It's easy to say, I love you. Love you, bro. Praying for you, right? But how much more does it take for me to say, hey, I got you. Let me help you. How can I, how can I meet with you this week? How can I actually show up and help you in this time? It's something different to go and to physically do something in the natural. It's easy to say you love someone, but your actions reveal the true nature of the heart. This is why in a marriage, this is so important. Because in a marriage, people can go, there, they can go decades saying, I love you, but they haven't served their spouse in decades. Guess what? If I'm not backing it <laughs> with action, it's fake. I'm faking it. Let's be real. 
Don't love in word or in tongue. It's easy. Anybody can lip service, love you, praying for you. But are you? Will you show up if I need you? Will you go through the house and as you're walking through the house, see that thing that your spouse has been asking you to do and actually go out of your way to do it? Will you see that thing that you think, oh, man, I don't normally do that, but I need to help her a little bit more around the house and actually do it and actually walk in service? Come on, man, I'm preaching to myself right now. (laughs) Will I do it? Because that's true love. That's how I back love. That's what God did. For God so loved, he gave. He was willing to do something about it. Today, specifically, though, I want to speak on financial giving. Here's why. Jesus says something very, very important and key when it comes to finances. And the Bible is full of verses on money and full of verses on what God wants for our life. But I'm going to look at this verse in Matthew 6, 21. Jesus said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is, this is, this is huge. Basically this, show me your bank statement. And I will show you what has your heart. Like, let's print it off. Let's look at it. Like I said, I'm preaching myself a little bit today. Come on. Show me your bank statement. I'll show you what has your heart. Where am I investing? I'm not just talking about investing to, to, you know, retire early. Who am I loving through my giving? Not what am I giving to. Who am I loving with my giving? Let me say this. If God is first in my money, he's first in my heart. If God's first in my money, he's first in my heart. Where my treasure is, there my heart will be. This is why God makes such harsh, or if they seem harsh, statements about money. I'm getting ahead of myself again. Let me stop here for a second. Let me give this point to you, okay? Where my treasure is, there my heart will be also. The first way or one of the ways we give is we give on behalf of God. We give on behalf of God. That is me giving generously to others. I see the need, right? I'm at Quick Trip. She's counting with pennies to pay for gas. I have, I can meet that need. Do I got millions in the bank? No, but I got enough to meet that need. God's prompting me. Will I take a step? Giving generously to others. It's not my money to begin with, but if I will show myself faithful to be a channel God can use me and give me even more. Proverbs eleven twenty four. this is that verse I was talking about. Give freely and become more wealthy. Be stingy and lose everything. The generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. That night, whenever we gave that $100 to that family, my heart was overjoyed. I just kept bringing it up to Leslie. I was just like, man, it didn't, it's just so good. It feels so good to give. Why? Because I needed refreshment, if I'm being real. With the week that we had had, that week before, like I needed refreshing. But what did it take? It took me not looking at me. It took me saying, I'm going to give in obedience. And because I did, God's word is true. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. Luke 6, 38, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Am I willing to get a little uncomfortable to meet someone's need? Not in my own, but in in operation of God, on behalf of God. Here's here's another way that we give. We return to God. We don't give to God. We're returning to him. That's the next point. We return to God. It's already his. 
but I return to him what is already his. To return to God is simply this. It's our tithe and our offering. And here's the thing. If tithe and offering are, are curse words at your house, okay, <laughs> bear with me. I'm not out here. I'm not up here to tell you that you're going to hell if you don't tithe. That's not what I'm saying at all. Hear my heart behind this. I want to share with you what God's done in my life through giving and returning back to God what is already his. I'm not up here to get your money because I don't want to burst your bubble, but this church is going to go on whether it has your money or not. God runs this church. (laughs) His heavenly finances go way beyond our earthly finances. So I don't want to burst your bubble. I'm not up here to get your money. Hear me in that. God's going to see that this church will go on because he's got big plans for this church. Now, if you want to be a part of it, that's a bonus. Come on, somebody. Let's go on here. Tithing. Tithing is giving God the first 10% of all my income, all my increase, meaning this. It's the first dollar out of every $10. It goes to the local church. Offerings is anything above my first 10%. And I'm going to say this statement right here. Uh, let me go to the verse. Matthew six twenty four. Matthew six twenty four. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. That's some pretty harsh language. We, like, you know what I'm saying? So you're saying if I, if I am a little selfish with my money, then what's it, what's it implying? That I despise where my money should have went. Like God, I, God uses harsh language sometimes to get our attention. He's using harsh language to say, hey, this is important. You need to understand this. God knows if there's anything else that will have your heart or that will have your allegiance, it will be your money. Money touches everything. My house, my clothes, my food, my ability to survive, my vehicle, how do I get to and from work, my status. Money touches everything. That's why there's so many verses about money in God's word. There's so many verses, but here's what he's showing us in here. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. My decision on what I do with my money, my decision on tithing, my decision on giving offering reveals who I'm serving. It reveals who am I serving? Who am I devoted to? And here's the the good part. God is not opposed to you having money. God is not opposed to you having a lot of money. Can I say that? God's not opposed to you having a lot of money. Here's what he's opposed to. Money having you. God's not opposed to you having a lot of stuff. He's opposed to stuff having you. He's saying, because we get so comfortable in America, here's what happens many times, we get so comfortable that when money has me, I don't need God. My needs are met. And if they're not met, if crisis comes, I'll just pay a little extra to get it met. And easily we can take this step into becoming, I got it, God. Now, if something really bad happens, I'll come and pray and I'll run to you. But until then, I got it. No. I need to trust him first. And if I'll trust him first, God can do some work in my life. Why does God put so much emphasis on money? Because it touches everything. So let's talk about this for a second. I'm going to give two big statements here. The first one is this. Whatever I give my first 10% to, whenever I get paid, whenever I get that income, whenever I give that first 10% to is where I give my tithe to. This is something I didn't know for many years. I would get paid, and I'd pay some of my bills, but in the middle of paying my bills, I'd give my tithe. But God's word says, and I know I need to do it, I need to do a deep dive into this as a series so that we can all get on the same page. You can see in Scripture exactly what I'm talking about. But it's the principle of the first. 
principle of the first fruits and the principle of the firstborn. It's all the same. The first is set aside or consecrated to God. The first 10%. So if I get paid and I pay my mortgage, my bills, and then, oh, yeah, 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 I need to pay my tithe. That 10% I gave in tithe was actually an offering. My tithe went to the mortgage because it was first. It was first. Wherever I give. Why is that important? Because tithing is about giving our first to God. It's not about giving what's left over after I've paid my bills. And here's why. It requires faith to give first. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. It requires faith to give first. It requires no faith to give last. Because I feel good. I've met all my needs. Here's yours, God. Rather than God, I trust you. You're first in my life. You are first. I recognize you first. I'm putting you first in my life. I trust you to take care of the rest of the things in my life. You are first. Tithing is so important because it is the primary way we acknowledge that God is first in my life. I can say he's first. I can do a lot of other actions to say or to try to prove that he's first. But what's the one thing that you check the most throughout your week? Money. Because it's always being used. What's the one thing that I'm going to check, that I'm going to look at, that I'm going to make sure nothing weird's going on? Money. Money. It's the primary way we acknowledge that God is first. Let me show you the heart of the Father in all of this. Because, again, I'm not up here to, to bash anyone over the head. I'm not up here to say, if you don't tithe, you're going to hell, because that's not true. But here, let me show you the heart of the Father in giving, in loving. Jesus is God's tithe. Think about this. Jesus is God's tithe. The Bible says that Jesus is the firstborn among many brethren, Romans, Romans 8, 29. Romans also says that God gave Jesus in hope that we would receive. He gave Jesus in hope that we would receive. That, the word hope is the same Greek root word as faith. Listen to this. God gave Jesus in hope or in faith that we would believe and receive him. So let's make it practical on us. When I tithe, I don't wait to see if I have enough left over. I have the faith to tithe first. The faith to give first. Here's what God did. He showed us. Here's how you do it. God didn't wait to, to see if you would clean up your act before he gave Jesus. He didn't wait. What did he do? He gave in hope. He gave in faith that you would receive. God sets the ultimate example. He's given a lot more than 10% of his income. His tithe was so much greater than 10%. He gave his only son, Romans 5, 8. But God showed, he showed his great love by sending Christ to die while we were still sinners. God gave Jesus when we were mocking him, when we were beating him, and when we were nailing him to the cross and spitting on him in faith. And now he says, follow my lead. Will you trust me enough to do what I've already done? I know it's a stretch. I know it takes faith. But without faith, it's impossible to please God. As I wrap up, let me wrap up with this. A lot of hang-ups when it comes to giving, when it comes to tithing, or even our offerings sometime, is that we get into this trap that say tithing is, is old covenant. 
It's in the law. We're not in the law anymore. I would say this. Tithing is in the Old Testament, yes. But here's the principle of the first. It did not start with the Mosaic law or the Mosaic covenant. Because it did not start with that law, with that covenant. It does not end with that covenant. The principle of the tithe, the principle of the first fruits, was beyond one covenant. It's been all the way in the life of Abraham, in that covenant, and before. We can see it go back all the way into the Garden of Eden. Is it called tithe back then? No, but it's called the first. The principle of the first. Putting God first. And guess what? Back then, they didn't have crisp American $1 bills to give. They had some animals. They had some fruit. They had some whatever their possession and money was for them. They gave. They gave. We see it all the way back into the Garden of Eden. Matthew 23, even going into the New Testament, I could show you a bunch of verses in the New Testament. Matthew 23, Jesus affirms tithing not as a lawful duty, not as law, but as an accepted discipline for disciples. Matthew 23. Here's what I'll leave you with, though. Because if, I, if tithing and offerings are cuss words or curse words in your home, as always, here's what I want you to hear. Don't ever take my word for it. You need to take God's word for it. I'm a channel for him. This is something that you have to decide as your family. According to God's word, what shall we do when it comes to this? In Malachi 3.10, this is a popular verse. It says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I love that, Lord of heaven's armies. I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out so much blessing, so great, you won't have room enough to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. Any, uh, the movie, A Christmas Story, any Christmas Story fans in here? Uh, Every year, I watch it probably, I don't know how many times, a bunch of times. In there, there's that moment where he says, I triple dog dare you. Right? He skipped, he skipped the double dare, right? But he went to the trip. I triple dog dare you. That's what I would say. God says it much nicer. Put me to the test. I say, I dare you. Here's why. I know this verse is true because I have never met a tither who actually gives the first 10% and not a leftover 10%. I've never met a tither who wishes they didn't tithe. Not once. Not once. They all say the same thing. Before we chose to commit to give our tithe, to give the first to God, we couldn't afford to tithe. But now once they started tithing, they said, we can't afford not to tithe because we know what God has done in our finances. Oh, because you have a 5,000 square foot house and 12 cars and, and three boats? No, but because every need is supernaturally met beyond our ability sometimes. When things seem impossible, God always shows up. Why? Because my 90% is blessed and then we'll do a deep dive into this in another series, but our, if I keep my 100%, it's actually cursed, and it work, it's working against me. God can do way more with 90% that's blessed than 100% that's cursed. He can do way more. It's the same way when it comes to praying in tongues. It's very similar. If you don't pray in tongues, are you going to go to hell? Absolutely not. But I've never met somebody that prays in the Spirit fervently, daily, that wishes they didn't. Because they've seen the miraculous results. And that's what tithing is. I've never met a tither who regretted it. I've never met a tither who said, man, I wish I didn't have to do this. This is really a legal thing. No, all I've met is tithers who say, man, I would not stop this for anything. 
because we put God first and he's moved in our life. To live like Jesus is to serve. To love like Jesus is to give. To do both, what you're going to have to do is contribute something. Here's what happens when we contribute. John 12, 24 through 26. I'm wrapping up with this. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and it dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain or much fruit. He who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. And look at this. If anyone serves me, him, my father will honor. Her, my father will honor. Here's what's going to happen. If you're going to live like Jesus, if you're going to serve, if you're going to love like Jesus by giving, you're going to have to die to something in your life. Guaranteed. You have to die to something. What does that mean? Not, not physical death. I'm talking about your time, your money, your convenience, your comfort, your sleep. Sometimes you're going to have to say, I'm willing to die to this. Meaning what? Death means it's leaving my hand. I'm willing to give this and to plan it. But if it doesn't, look, if, if it dies, it produces much. But if it remains alone, nothing. Am I willing? It's, it may feel, it feels like a bad investment. Am I willing to do this? If I am, God can use it. So for those of you, let me encourage some of you that are in here that maybe are consistently giving, consistently serving. Can I encourage you? This is what you have coming. If you're going through a tight season, don't forget. Hey, don't forget God's promises. When I choose to serve him well, he says, my father will honor. God honors you. He'll meet every need. He is Jehovah. He's got you. Jehovah Jireh. I'm going to have to die to something. For every death in Christ, there is a glorious resurrection. In the natural, here's a great example. As Jesus feeds the 5,000, upwards of 10 to 15,000 people, as we see in the Gospels, what do we see? He's preaching. They're tired. Disciples come. Let's wrap it up. Send them home. Nobody has food. Jesus says, well, you feed them. They say, okay, let's find some food. They find one little boy who's got a lunch. He brings it. Jesus blesses it. He multiplies it into 12 large baskets are left over after everyone is filled. After everyone is filled. Do we really believe, God showed me this years ago, do we really believe out of 15,000 people, upwards of 15,000, that one little boy was the only one that had food? What mom do you know that doesn't have snacks in her purse right now? Right? Come on. But what did it take? What did it take for the miracle? One child's faith saying, Jesus, I'll give you everything, not a, not a piece of my lunch. I'll give you my lunch because you asked for it. That's all. Not because my lunch is so great, not because it's so pretty, not because of, of anything else that I've done for it. It's one lunch. But what happened? There was thousands of people and adults who should have known better, who were supposed to be spiritually mature, who didn't trust Jesus enough to say, I'll give. Other people had food and what happened? They, either, they already ate it, number one. They were too selfish to share. Well, if I give, I'm gonna get a crumb in return. That's a bad investment. They didn't think their little snack would go very far, but they were not counting in the supernatural. One grain dies and it produces much fruit. When I give my 10%, it produces much fruit. 
when I'm willing to serve someone that's even the least of these, I'm serving Jesus and it is multiplied back to me. My time is multiplied back. My money is multiplied back. My sleep is multiplied back. It's a spiritual law of sowing and reaping. It cannot be undone. Let me say it like this. I'm going to say it two ways. Contributors get used to do the miracle. People who are willing to give to the kingdom, they get used to do the miracle. Consumers, they get to sit back and watch it happen. Wow, that was cool. We got to be a part of that. Let me say it like this, though. Consumers get the message. Contributors get the miracle. So no matter what season you're in in your life, if you need supernatural, miraculous help in finances, in your marriage, in a relationship, in your career, whatever it is, look for these two things. How can I live like Jesus by serving someone? How can I love like Jesus by being willing to give to the church, to someone? Am I doing my part? Because if you are, God's word promises the miraculous in your life. Isn't God good? He asks us for a little, but he's asking, will you trust me? Just as the child did with his lunch. It ain't much. It's not pretty. I might have taken a few bites already, but I give it to you, Jesus, just because you asked for it. And he says, I can do, I can take it from here. Will you trust him today? Will you take a step today? Whether that's getting one of those cards, joining the A-team, whether that's starting to tithe, whether it's starting to give consistently, whether that's getting involved somewhere else throughout the week, serving people, looking for the opportunity, trust him. He can do way more if we are willing to do our part. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for your goodness. Thank you for speaking to us today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your promises. Thank you that you are looking to take care of us. And when we partner with you, you go above and beyond anything we could ask, think, or imagine. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Abide Church podcast. If you'd like to partner with us financially, or if you're in the Tulsa area and would like to attend our weekly gathering, you can check out AbideChurch.com. 